Good, so this morning we're continuing uh, to look at the Psalms. Um, last week we, look at, we looked at Psalm 2, and so this morning we're looking at Psalm 3. Yeah, I think that was the plan, wasn't it? I hope it was the plan. So um, if you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up. Um, Mike has got a bunch of Bibles there that um, he can get to if you need one. Um, but let's open our Bibles at Psalm 3, which is on page uh, 543. Everyone has a Bible? That's good. Okay, Psalm 3. Psalm of David, when he fled from his son Absalom. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are assured around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down, I sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear the tens of thousands assail me on every side. Those tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Amen. Let's pray before we, before we uh, do this song. Father, thank you for your word, your perfect, flawless word. Uh, we pray you would help us as we come now to, to consider um, the things that you would have us to learn today. Please speak. And as Patrick prayed, please would you change us. Make us more like Christ. Increase our love for him. Uh, our Lord and our King. Yes, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Why do we so often find it hard to ask for help? There was a survey done recently, and it, it was discovered that when men get lost driving, only about 6% would actually stop and um, think of stopping and asking for directions or looking at a map. In fact, it, it was worked out that the average man during the course of their lifetime, would drive an extra 900 miles being lost. <laughs> it's true. It was in the independence, so I'm sure it's pretty true. Rather than stop and look for directions. That's crazy, isn't it? It's like driving from John O'Grace to Land's End. But actually, this problem is not just confined to our driving habits. It's actually uh, often a spiritual issue for us, whether we're men or women. When life is getting tricky... It seems that often the very last thing uh, we seem to think of doing is asking for help, crying out to God for help. We get stuck in, in, um, in a keep calm and carry on mode, or let me try and work it out on my own mentality. I see this in my own life. When things get tough, the first thing I try and do is fix things. Maybe that's because I'm a man as well. I try and work things out on my own. Crying out to God for help often becomes the last resort uh, when things get too much, when things get too desperate. Sometimes we do cry out to God for help. 
But then when, when the hardship, when the suffering continues, we kind of get this feeling, well, maybe God's not listening. Prayer goes on the back burner, and we just knuckle down and, and try and do the best we can. Have you, have you felt that? I, I, I feel that. What I hope we'll see today is that crying out to God for help is a fundamental part of the Christian life. And especially when hardship comes, for whatever reason, the right thing for us to do is not just to cry out to the Lord for help, but to keep crying out to him. So here, here is the, mo- the motto for our lives. Keep crying out to Christ the King. Now you might think that after such an amazing psalm as, as Psalm 2, where the, the King is established, proclaimed as sovereign over the nations, Psalm 3 might, might start a little differently. Maybe where David, the king of Israel, declares his greatness or his sovereignty. Um, but actually we see something very different. You might have noticed at the beginning of the psalm is that there's a little heading. This heading gives some background as to what was going on when the psalm was written. It's actually part of the Bible text. What does it say? A psalm of David when he fled. When he fled from his son Absalom. So David, at this point, he's not firmly established as king in Jerusalem. He's on the run. And what's sadder still, he's actually on the run from his own son, Absalom. What's going on? We can read the whole, the whole story. It's actually recorded for us in, in 2 Samuel. But basically, Absalom, David's son, he's risen up against him. The relationship has broken down. Absalom has stolen the hearts of the people. And now David is on the run. He's being pursued, he's being cursed, he's being accused. He's fleeing when he should be king over God's people, ruling from Jerusalem. What a mess. But actually, David gives us a response in Psalm 3, which actually helps us um, to think of how we should respond to, to difficulties in our lives. So anyone who's lived a Christian life for a short period of time knows it's not easy. It's often, as the, as the song goes, a land marked with suffering, with hardship. We suffer as Christians for many reasons. Sometimes things are a mess in our, in our own lives because of our, our bad mistakes, our bad decisions. This was partly true of David. Or maybe when the Lord is, is, is disciplining us. We suffer sometimes for good reasons. When, when we, we find ourselves in trouble because we are followers of Christ. Because we've taken our stand for the gospel. Sometimes we experience suffering of different kinds, like when we get ill or when someone close to us is ill. In the New Testament, Peter talks of trials of many kinds. As Christian believers, how should we respond? Should we just keep calm and carry on? No, we should keep crying out to Christ our King. And this is what David does in Psalm 3. Verse 1, he's on the run. But he cries out to the Lord, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? He's got tens and tens of thousands of trained soldiers on his tail seeking to take his life. But actually, he's also being accused. Verse 2, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. If we look back in in 2 Samuel, we read of of one man in particular who was, was following David wherever he went. Uh, continually cursing him, accusing him, throwing stones and dirt at him. But rather than take things into his own hands, what did he do? He called out to the Lord. He put his situation as it was, right at the Lord's feet. He tells it to the Lord as it is. 
he calls out, he cries out to the, to the one he knew could help him in his desperate situation. This is what it means to cry out to the Lord. To come before him in prayer, to tell him our troubles, to pour out our hearts to him, uh, to tell him how we feel. This is what David is doing uh, in Psalm 3, especially in the first two verses. But I'd like to suggest that this psalm offers us three reasons why crying out to the Lord is always the right response to suffering, whatever that suffering might be. Why do we call out to the Lord? Firstly, because he answers us. So David is he's probably at one of the lowest parts of his, uh, points of his reign. He's on the run, he's in danger, he's cast out of Jerusalem. And you can feel the desperation in these first two verses. But as you move on to verse 3, the tone of the psalm changes dramatically. And you get this sense of hope coming in, which changes the whole shape of the psalm. There's a contrast, the darkness and desperation of verses 1 and 2, but then almost a flood of hope in verse 3. How does it start? He says, but you, Lord, but you, Lord, I may be on the run, being pursued by a huge army, but you, Lord, are looking out for me. He says in verse 4, I call out to the Lord and he answers me. You are the one who answers me. He knows who is on the throne. He knows who the king of Psalm 2, which we looked at last week, really is. He cries out to him and as a result he is filled with hope. So where does David get his confidence from? Let's look at verse 3 in a little more detail. He says of the Lord, he is he's my shield. You are a shield around me, he says. So the use of a shield in battle goes back to the early civilizations, And the whole point of a shield is that it's stronger than the weapons that are being assailed against you. I used to actually do Viking reenactment many, many years ago. Very sad. But um, we used to have these big shields. You know? and our friends would come and whack, whack us with these huge swords. Thankfully, the shield was stronger than the sword. That is what David, he knows in his heart. The Lord is greater. He is stronger than the greatest of armies. And he knows that even though he's on the run, Absalom and the armies of Israel have got to get through the Lord first before uh, they're going to do any harm to David. The Lord is greater. He is stronger. He is on the throne. He is our shield. But actually this word shield is also a gospel word. It takes us back to when the Lord promised Abraham that he would give him the land that he'd called him to. The Lord said to Abraham at that time, he said, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. He promised Abraham that through him, uh, through his offspring, all nations will be blessed. And interestingly, we read that that same promise was given to David. The Lord said to him, when your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. You and your house, your kingdom, shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. He is David's shield. So what David is doing, he's not only acknowledging the fact that God is stronger and sovereign, but also that God has made very, uh, very special promises to him. 
that God is deeply committed to him. It's the logic is quite simple. There's no, there's no one, there's no army on the planet great, of greater strength than the Lord. And that same God has made unbreakable promises to him. Therefore, he knows he won't be rejected. He knows that victory for Absalom is not the end of the story. And therefore, he has confidence to know that God answers him. He says the same, the same thing in, in the second half of, of the verse, in verse 3. He says that the Lord is my glory. So this, the word glory basically means something substance or, or quality. David is acknowledging that it is only the Lord who has made him who he is. If there's anything good in him, especially when it comes to his reign as king, it's come from himself. Oh, sorry, it's come from the Lord, not himself. To use New Testament language, it is of grace. And so he says of the Lord, uh, he is the one who lifts my head. He lifts my head in battle. He gives me victory. So we've been watching the Olympics. There's lots of gold medals, silver medals, bronze medals uh, being given out. They are the people who lift their heads, aren't they? The people who come fourth, fifth, sixth, they walk away in shame. The Lord is the one who gives him his victory. David's confidence is not in himself, it is in the Lord. And that's why he is full of hope uh, in verse 3. So if this was true of David, how much more confidence should we as Christians have that he answers us when we cry out to him? The promises given to, to Abraham and David basically point to Christ, the one who gave himself um, for us on the cross. We were hearing last week in Psalm 2, Jesus is the king. It's not David, it's the Lord himself, it's Christ. And he gave himself for us. Think of what uh, Christ went through on the cross, that we might be forgiven, that we might be shielded from judgment that we deserve because of our sin. He was surrounded by his enemies. He was deserted and betrayed by those close to him. He was insulted and accused. Many said of him, God will not deliver him. He died and he rose again to be firmly established as the king of the universe. And that's why we have confidence uh, to come before him and know that he answers us when, when we cry out to him. He is our shield. He is our shield against judgment. He is our glory. He has saved us. He is the one who lifts up our head. It says in Romans of the Lord, he says, it says, um, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? We cry out to the Lord our King because he hears our cry. There is no one more powerful than him. And at the same time he loves us. He's poured his grace into our lives. So we have that same confidence. The Lord answers us when we cry out to him. But there's another reason. Why do we cry out to the Lord? Because he sustains us. He sustains us in suffering. He answers us and he sustains us. You could argue, if God is supremely powerful and at the same time totally loving towards us, why doesn't our suffering stop immediately when we cry out to him? It's a good question. 
Uh, it's a question that atheists use to prove that God doesn't exist. But actually it's a question we often struggle to get our heads around. Why doesn't God remove suffering from our lives when we bring something to his attention? He's powerful enough, isn't he? Doesn't he love us? Of course he loves us. We see that at the cross. But rather than deliver us from all suffering immediately, he has a greater priority in our lives. And that is to sustain us. To sustain us in suffering. So that our lives and our characters might display the glory of the Lord. So we've seen David is on the run. Tens of thousands of trained soldiers with orders to kill him. Yet in verse 5, he's called out to the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord answers him. Verse 5, he says, I lie down and sleep. It's a strange verse, a strange thing to say when you've got a huge army coming after you. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. You think that verse 5 should, should say something like, I've called out to the Lord and now all my troubles are gone. Back in Jerusalem, on the throne, everything's perfect. But that's not what he says. He says, as a result of the Lord hearing my prayer, I have the strength, I have the peace to endure suffering. I have a deep peace, even though I'm surrounded by chaos. I lie down, I sleep, I wake, not because my suffering has been removed, but even though my suffering continues. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 1, and we were talking about Uh, Alex was talking about the the good life. This good life mentality can actually so easily slip into our own thinking. Just like the media portrays, we think that life life should be carefree, all my needs met, all my worldly dreams fulfilled. But actually as Christians, we're not promised such a life. And this truth is all over the New Testament. Our chief example in life is who? It's Christ the King. Who came to be served? No, to serve and to give his life, to suffer. And as Christians, we're given that same privilege uh, to share in his sufferings. Peter says this in the New Testament. He says, to this you were called as Christians. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. But what the Lord does promise And this is what David experienced. When we experience suffering as Christians, while he doesn't always take our suffering away, he will give us a peace. He will take away the fear, even though we're in the midst of trials. We lie down, we sleep, we wake because the Lord sustains us. Verse 6, I will not fear the tens of thousands that sailed on me on every, every side. Can you imagine that? Fear can, can be a crippling thing. I, I have a fear of heights, um, and often Thames and I have gone to places and I've stepped out and I can't continue. Fear cripple, cripples me and I can't move forward. When I was in Turkey serving in the church, we used to meet up with people who were, you know, we didn't know them, but they were interested in, in uh, learning more about Jesus. And a few years ago, there was um, a report, and a, here's a picture on the screen. There was a report that a um, a Christian brother was held at knife point, held hostage for an hour and a half uh, by someone claiming to be interested in, in the Christian faith but was really, was really angry at Christians spreading their faith in a Muslim country. 
I heard about this, um, uh, this incident and I was gripped with fear. Um, I, di- I didn't want to meet any new people. I couldn't move forward. It, it, it stopped me. Uh, thankfully, the Lord spoke to me very clearly through, through another psalm, Psalm 121, that's got a very similar, similar theme. He watches over us. He cares for us. And the Lord took away my fear. That's what he wants to do for us when we're in the midst of trials. He wants to give us a peace. He wants to give us even a, a joy. But the key, the key is crying out to him. Um, pouring out our hearts to him. Reminding ourselves of who he is and what he's done for us. And the amazing thing that even when humanly speaking we should be at our wit's end. We actually have the strength to carry on. We have a peace. We have a, even a joy. But here's the amazing thing. Even the Lord Jesus was sustained in his suffering by crying out to his Father. This is what it says in, in the book of Hebrews. It says, uh, chapter 5, verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petition, petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because, his reverent, because of his reverent submission. He was heard. So, because he was heard, does that mean that Jesus avoided the cross? No, of course not. He was given the strength to, 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 to endure the cross and so provide salvation for us. He is our model. So maybe you are in a tough place. It's been going on for some time. Maybe you've been calling out to the Lord. Maybe you were calling out to the Lord. You're wondering, why hasn't anything changed? Why am I still struggling with this, with this illness, with this issue? Why are those in my family still against my faith? What's going on? I cried out to the Lord, but nothing's happened. We really need to remind ourselves that although our suffering doesn't come to an end immediately, it's important to realise that actually the Lord has been sustaining us. He's been strengthening us. He's been shaping our character. He's been making us more like Christ, the very thing we long for. So it's important to keep calling out to him, to keep crying out to him. That's the, that's the thing that is so important to do in the Christian life. But there's one more thing, and this is really exciting. The Lord, he will deliver us. He will deliver us. Suffering without end is not the end of the story. It's not our final destiny. Our hope is that God is going to step in and make everything right. He will take away all our suffering. This was David's hope too, and that's why he continues to cry out in the psalm. Verse 7, he says, Arise, O Lord. He knew that just as his enemies had risen up against him, so ultimately God will rise up against them and deliver him. He knew, verse 8, that from the Lord comes deliverance. Our God is a God who saves, he says in another psalm. David had good reason to think this. He could look back in the Old Testament where God had stepped in to save his people. So whether it was the time of the Exodus, when the Lord brought his people out of Egypt, whether it was in the time of Joshua, um, when the Lord established his people in the Promised Land, 
whether it was in the time of the judges when God would send special leaders to, to, to rescue his people. Even in his own life, David could look back to when God had delivered him, when he fought Goliath, when he was on the run from Saul. He looked back to what God had done for him and that gave him confidence for the future. From the Lord comes deliverance. It was his experience and it was his hope at the same time. And it's the same for us. We look back to what God has done for us and that gives us hope for the future. We look back in the Bible, we we read the same stories of of how God has delivered his people. Uh, We can draw that same confidence that God has always kept his promise to, to rescue and deliver those who trust him. But we have even greater evidence than David had. We have the cross. We have the empty tomb. Where, where, where God secured our salvation. God's ultimate victory over, over sin, over, over death, over Satan. We know we have been, we've been saved from the guilt of our sin through the cross. We know we are being saved from the power of sin in our lives. But there is still a final deliverance to come. When will this happen? When Christ returns. The day when the king returns. On that day what will happen? Two things will happen. Firstly for us, those trusting in Christ as our Lord and Saviour. On that day, our sufferings will come to an end. They will cease. On that day, as it says in Revelation, God will wipe away every tear from our, from our eyes. He will deliver us. That day is coming. It's a reality. It's our future hope. And that day should fuel our, fuel our prayers and give us hope in, in, in the midst of uh, suffering. It's a very Christian thing for the return of Christ to have a prominent place in our thinking and our prayers. We should be like those at the end of Revelation who, who, would, who, who prayed, come Lord Jesus. We look back to the cross, we look back to the, the empty tomb, to the resurrection. And we're given hope for the future. But actually the, the other thing is that there is a, there's a bitter sweetness in the fact that our king is returning. There's a bit of sweetness at the end of, um, of Psalm 3. What is a hope for one person is a warning for another. In the past, God has often delivered his people by judging his enemies. Think about the Exodus. How did God bring the people out of Egypt? By defeating the Egyptian armies. God did bring deliverance for David... We read uh, again in, in, in Second Samuel that 20,000 men were killed in battle and Absalom himself, he got his head stuck in a tree. I don't know if you've read the, the account. He had really long hair on his horse, past a tree. He got his head stuck and the uh, commander of David's armies killed him. Victory for David, judgment for those who are against him. Those with David were victorious. Those with Absalom were defeated and routed. The Lord did strike David's enemies on the jaw. But we have to be aware that when Christ returns, he will deliver his people, he will bring salvation, but he will also judge those who are not his people. The day is coming when every knee will bow before Christ. And he, the Lord, to use the language of the psalm, will strike all his enemies on the jaw. And the only question will be, whose side will you want? 
Were you with King Jesus or were you with someone else? On the day of judgment, God will break the teeth of the wicked. He will take away their strength. Because that's what sin deserves. But in verse 8, he will bless his people. The very thing we don't deserve. There's only one way to be on the Lord's side. What is that? It's to cry out to him. To cry out to him for salvation. To admit that you are powerless to save yourself. That you deserve judgment for your sin. Have you done that? Have you asked the Lord to save you? To be your Lord and Saviour? I urge you to do that. And if that's something you want to talk about, we'd love to talk to you. Speak to myself or Patrick afterwards. Maybe you are trusting in, in the Lord Jesus as your, as your Saviour, as your Lord. Well, just in summary, just a, a few things. First, it's good to ask. It's good to cry out to the Lord. Is it our habit? When trouble comes, is he our first port of call? When it comes to suffering, is there expectation that God is going to remove all our suffering straight away? We need to remember that God's priority is to sustain us and to work in our lives. And are we constantly looking forward to the day when we will be completely delivered from all sin and suffering? That day is a reality, it's coming soon. Um, and a day when those who have trusted in Christ will know true blessing from the Lord. So may the Lord keep and sustain us as we continually cry out to him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for, for our King. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that there is no one greater than him. There is no one of greater sovereignty, of greater power than him. But thank you as well that your cross, the cross shows us of your love for us. Thank you that you are working in our lives to make us more like Christ. Thank you that he, he is our shield. He's our shield from judgment. He's our shield from the sin, the result of sin that we deserve. He is our glory. Thank you for grace that has saved us. He is the lifter of our heads. We thank you for the victory that we have in him. Lord, please would you, would you empower us, would you inspire us to keep crying out to you, especially when things are tough. And Lord, may, may we know that you, you sustain us and give us a deep peace and even a joy in the midst of suffering. Father, we pray, we pray this for, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing. We're going to sing uh, of that day. There is a day that all creation is waiting for, a day that creation is longing for, a day that we should be longing for, when the Lord comes to meet his bride. Amen. There is a day